Uh, I had some very supportive supervisors early on back when I was just a, a lowly uh, analyst uh, and <laughs> that were very supportive of me and, and saw something in me that uh, I didn't see in myself. And I think that's really important too. And so that's the other value add that I think I bring is so many people, a lot of the conversations that I have with clients start out as, I have this expertise in my field. They may even be noted authors in that field. They may lecture for a living. Some of them have been noted college professors. But when they're in this forum, it's like, I don't know how to get my arms around my own expertise and deliver it to an audience. And I think a lot of my job is looking for that thing in them that they don't see in themselves for whatever reason. And I can tell you, 100% of the time, everyone has that thing. Welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm Kevin Harris. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm really excited for the guests that we have on the show today. I want to intro introduce everybody to JT Campo. He is the founder of The Content Interpreter and is a speechwriter and a presentation extraordinaire. So we're going to be hearing all about his story today. Um, and what he does uh, and his viewpoints on success, failure, and what it takes to be great. And so JT, could you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, yes. Uh, thanks for having me on the, the program here, uh, both of you. It's a, it's a real honor to, to join you. So uh, as Lauren said, I'm JT Campo, and I'm a speechwriter and presentation consultant. I have a company called The Content Interpreter. And I work with thought leaders, C-suite members, and entrepreneurs to help them extract their greatness and share it with audiences. So it's all about elevating uh, content that's already existing, or it's about writing speeches or keynotes or TED Talks from scratch. And I've developed this approach that is very consultative in nature so that the end product is something that is authentic to them uh, and accessible to audiences. And we could talk a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Sure. So this is why I was like, so excited to have you on JT, because I think that through you know, your story, we can learn about you and your path along this process and, and how you've evolved, um, but also what you've seen in others uh, through the people that you have worked with and do work with. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm uh, very excited about this conversation. So could you tell us when and how you first got involved in doing what you do? And this could be uh, the first time you started working with um, creating content in general, even if it's before um, the professional stage. Take us back to the beginning. Absolutely. So this business and what I'm doing now, I feel is the convergence of several different paths in my life. I think I mentioned to you before we started recording that I actually did radio uh, as a college student. It was a, a student run station, but it competed with uh, stations, uh, professional stations in the market. 
and we actually won our, our time slot a time or two, which was always exciting. <laughs> so I've, I've always had this passion for, for public speaking and performance because that's really what it is. I went to the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. And when I left school, I started my career in media research. And I worked for a couple of the big agencies, uh, media agencies, which buy media, buy TV, buy radio, digital, billboard, all of it. And I worked on the research side. So it was really about getting inside the head of, of the consumer and understanding how that particular consumer, that target audience relates to different media. So that's like one track there where uh, I am trained to look for the insight, the insight that will add value into understanding a, a target audience. That career then evolved, since it's all about evolution, in my opinion, into working for an ad tech firm uh, that, and if uh, your listeners aren't familiar, it's digital advertising and the creation of audiences so that uh, you can just buy uh, a, a target audience uh, for your digital campaign and it's all done in an automated fashion. I worked for a firm uh, where they used social media to develop those audiences. They used the insights that they got from social media to develop those audiences. And so I directed client services for that firm and it was all about storytelling because they had a very complicated process. I mean, they, they showed me the equations one time of all the data science that was behind it and I just, the algorithms. I, I don't know, I had to go sit down. It was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was really something. But once you get to work with the engineers who, who developed it and the data scientists who developed it, you realize that, hey, this is a story and you can break it down into building blocks and explain that to clients. So about halfway through my time there, they said, well, we're gonna hire a, a PR consultant that's going to work on the company's earned media footprint. So getting placed in the major trade magazines, Adweek and broadcasting and cable to name a couple. And do you think that you could write something that the press would be interested in? You, you're already doing it with clients. Do you think you could do something for, for the company? And I said, I, never done that before I've but I'll give it a shot because it was a very startup like company all hands on deck turns out that I was pretty good at that at, at knowing what audiences that were reading those uh, uh, trade press uh, publications were interested in and also representing the company in a way that wasn't overly salesy but still got our point of view across about different issues in the industry and that was when all the the light bulb sort of went off for me to develop this business. And so when I parted ways with that company at the end of 2017, I said, well, let's take a shot at using all of the skills in my toolbox that I've, I've put together so far. It's a pretty broad repertoire, but I've gone deep in a few different areas. There's the insight area, there's the client relations area, and then there's the actual writing of content for a pretty wide public consumption. And that was how, uh, after a little bit of uh, struggling to find my voice as an entrepreneur, that was how the business came together. So there have been little seeds planted along the way for you know, 10 years or so. Well, you, it sounds like you were 
surprised, if you will, if that's kind of the right wording, uh, trying not to put something in your mouth there. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like you were surprised that you were able to be good at this, you know, form of writing that you hadn't hadn't done before. Yeah, looking I, back at it though, sorry, looking back at it though, can you see some reasons that maybe that wasn't surprising? Or was it truly just like, wow, I am actually good at this? I, I think it's not so surprising if you look back at it and try to have some objectivity, which I think is one of the value adds that I bring to my clients is, is to be invested enough in their story that I'm really excited about what's, what's happening, what they're doing next but also having some objectivity that will help you connect the dots. So I, I guess yes and no. I, I think I was surprised in the moment mm -hmm. that, you know, if I had gotten one placement, right, or if the PR uh, consultant had gotten me one placement, it'd be like, okay, that's great. But the fact that there were so many and that the earned media footprint was able to develop in that way was, was pretty exciting. And, and I guess it was kind of surprising in the moment uh, but now that you look at it all together, it, it really does kind of make sense. Sure. What? Those, Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Well, I was just curious, in those early attempts, were you noticing certain things that worked better than others and attempting to continue uh, using that process? Or was it hit or miss? Did you have a pattern that you were identifying? Writing is always a process, right? R regardless of, of which kind of writing you're doing. And I, I think that, that the approach that helped me early on pre-content interpreter was the fact that I was actually responsible for representing something that wasn't my own. I feel like when, when it's your own, you, you feel a different sense of responsibility for it versus when it's someone else's. And so, a lot of the basic building blocks in those early pieces were about making sure that I was representing and staying true to the company's vision and to the CEO's vision, who, by the way, I would describe in the sense of, of what he was trying to accomplish uh, in the industry as visionary. So I wanted to be really true to that. And I didn't want to inject too much of myself in that. That's different than when uh, I'm here, for example, talking with you nice folks about, about my own company. It's also different from when I'm actually working with clients. I had this discussion the other day, actually, with, with someone that uh, uh, I, I just completed some work for. And I said, I, he, he was talking to me about, well, here's what I think about this and that. And I said, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I never want to inject myself too much into what you're doing. This is your point of view. I'm just helping you extract that greatness and in translating and interpreting that in a way that is appropriate for that forum, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, uh, it's different. It's a different sense of responsibility. And I think that uh, the, the process is always an evolution. So uh, you have to have some guidelines and in the early days the guidelines were well this is the vision of the company that was laid out we don't want to be overly salesy in our approach because then no one takes you seriously because then it's just a sales pitch we want to have really good uh really well thought out very well articulated points of view on uh, issues that were that were and are still facing the industry brand safety is is uh 
one that comes to mind. It's like, what do you want your advertising to, what do you want your advertising to appear alongside? And that's a big issue, especially when uh, you're uh, buying advertising in a way that, that's completely automated and no human being is, is, there's very limited human involvement. So those were the, the parameters that I think uh, helped guide us to success early on. And uh, I think we were surprised. Yeah, like how, how wow, that this is something that, that they want to hear more of. And it wasn't just, oh, here's our pitch and, and do you want to buy it or not? But it was actually articulated uh, very well, those viewpoints. What my question that's kind of looming, I mean, honestly, you're provoking a lot of interesting questions that I want to ask you, but um, <laughs> The, the question that's been looming ever since you started talking about kind of how you got into this was even before that, like what made you want to pursue this in college in the first place? I have always been fascinated with media. I was one of those kids that would just listen to the radio for hours and hours and really just uh, study how uh, a DJ or, or an on-air personality would communicate with his or her audience. I thought it was fascinating that it's one person that's in this booth. And when I went on to do it, I, I really got a sense of what that's like. You're sitting in a booth on your own and you're, you have to communicate in a way that will reach uh, a very broad swath of people. And so I thought that was fascinating when you juxtapose it with the idea that, uh, and the secret is that you're really only talking to one person, the person that would be most likely to be interested in your station and the kind of music and the advertisers that you have on. So there's this interesting uh, juxtaposition, which I carry forward in my work today, where it's okay, you have to write a speech and the speaker is going to be speaking to 150 physicians and there's a lot of technical terms and 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 uh, very procedural type jargon that's in there but you also have to weave in a story so that even if i and that's the joke i always make with clients like if i snuck in the back of the room even i the lay person and the you know the dumbest person in the room of all these doctors uh, should be able to get something from your speech. So that was certainly an early form of, of uh, inspiration. And then I just heard all the wonderful things about the Newhouse School. And I said, I have to go there. And it was always my first choice school. And, and I really believe that it, it changed the trajectory of my life and my career in ways that uh, I could not have foreseen. So that, that was the inspiration. I, I really found that to be quite fascinating, that, that juxtaposition of speaking to one versus speaking to many. Is there a, mem like a particular memory from you being a kid that stands out? Hmm, that's an interesting question and one that I was not prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> not that this is scripted. Dumped, yeah. I to, uh, <laughs> uh, a memory that stuck out? I don't know. I, I just remember in general, just spending weekends listening to the radio. I'm a big music fan too, can't, can't play at all. I've done a little bit of singing here and there in my life, but just a, a big appreciator of music and uh, having someone come in and offer entertainment news or insights or behind the scenes story with this artist juxtaposed with my favorite artists at that point across all different genres, I could just, I, and I did spend weekends just 
listening to that all day long. Were you taking notes for him? Did you know at that point that you might end up in radio? Uh, well, you know, the thing is, it's funny, is that I, I don't really consider it as having been in radio. I think it looks that way to other people. I know uh, people who I went to school with that are still doing it, and they're the ones that are in radio. So I think I, I should qualify that. <laughs> I think at, at the time that I did it, it was, it was a, an interesting way for me to express myself. I think when you're young and you're first entering college, it's like, well, where's my, where, where are my people? And it just turned out that, that my people, including some of my best friends uh, still to this day, were at that station. And so it was a really great bonding experience. And, and you learn all parts of, of the business without having the pressure of uh, competing at a very high level. I, I, I have personal air, what they call air checks, which is just recordings of me on the air that uh, I will never let loose out into the public. <laughs> They're just mine. <laughs> that makes me glad that uh, I did not go into this uh, as a profession because uh, there are many of my classmates who do it that are way better at it. <laughs> I was curious when you were listening over the weekend, spending that much time, did you think you would make a career or at least study radio at that point in your life? Could you Definitely in communications, for sure. I knew pretty early on that that's what I was going to do. Radio specifically, okay. gotcha. I don't know. I don't think I really had that, that, uh, that sense. And especially over the last, I would say 20 years. So if I think back to the kid that was listening uh, to those radio stations, and you compare it to the way media is consumed now and the way that, that marketing and advertising have changed uh, as well. I think it's changed so much that I don't know if I could have foreseen how I would apply the skills that I would later acquire in, in different ways. And, and uh, if I could, I don't know, I don't want it to sound self-congratulatory, but if I could say that that is, if, if, if that is one of the more interesting aspects of my career, I'd say that is it. Is like, oh, you have this toolbox, you have this repertoire of skills that are all related to communication one way or another. And look at all the different ways that you can apply them. And when I look at my career to date, I, I certainly don't see anything that I'm doing as an endpoint. I want to keep growing and keep evolving, of course, and see how many other ways I can apply them. Thank you. So it sounds like you mentioned kind of finding your people. Yeah you know, as humans, we're kind of in-groupers, out-groupers, right? And then there's this other layer of that aspect of uniqueness, right? And finding out who you are, even if it's within a group. Did you see yourself at any point um, being unique or different than, than the others that you were around? I think that's a good question too. And I, I, I gotta say, I appreciate the focus on, on these early years. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've done other podcasts in the past and, and uh, there hasn't been the focus on the early years. So I appreciate the question. Did I think I was different? I, I think that I, well, even in that, so I was going to say, I think I looked at it as an art form perhaps more than others, but now that I'm thinking about it, I, I don't even really think I was that unique and, 
and uh, in that respect, trust me, at, at, uh, in those years, there was really nothing remarkable about me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we could just cut to the chase there and, and just uh, make a blanket statement. Um, <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I, you know, I think it was just really, again, that, that, uh, that, that it was an art form that had a lot of depth to it that maybe didn't necessarily appear on the surface. So if you're really good as an on-air personality, whether you're on television or radio or, or the web or elsewhere, uh, if you're really good at it, it, it looks effortless. And what I remember is really having to try <laughs> very hard uh, to make it good. And, and then, as I said, kind of falling short of, of uh, when compared to some of my peers, but it did give me a good exposure, I think, uh, into, well, how do you craft that message so that it's it's balanced and, and talking to many versus talking to one, but also uh, having uh, a universal appeal, but staying uh, targeted to a particular kind of audience and what they would be interested in. So I think that was very formative uh, for me and, and understanding like, well, what does a good communicator really have to do? What boxes does he have to check? I would imagine that's a huge strength for your clients right now. The fact that you have experienced that kind of being in the front and doing the work. I remember as a kid, you know, I grew up doing equestrian show jumping and there were some coaches that didn't ride, you know, and were coaching and some that still did ride or had 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 very big careers and we're still doing that and we always had this debate of like who do you want to be coached by the person that's still doing it or the person that at least has done it and you know it's kind of that idea like to really understand something you have to have experienced it or be experiencing it so would you say that's is that something kind of a value add that you bring to your clients I think so, yeah, and and uh, that's really cool, by the way, the equestrian jumping. I, I want to <laughs> I want to get back to that, but I don't want to answer the question. With... Not my show, your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's your show. You're <laughs> so you control the direction uh, however you want. But I do think that's cool. I just want to mention that. Uh, I, I think that's a great analogy, and uh, part of of my experience that we didn't even mention is that I've been involved in in Toastmasters in various capacities. Uh, for almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And so I have really kind of been on all sides of it, seeing what is a good way to communicate on stage versus in an op-ed. And, and I have been on all different sides of it. So there is a, a breadth of, of experience that I bring to clients. And I... Again, it's tough because I, I have to communicate to them that, yes, you can trust me. I, I will safeguard your story. I really care about your message. But again, I can't inject too much of myself in it. And I think that's where, uh, frankly, a lot of uh, businesses, maybe not so much today, but in the past, it's like if you're talking too much about your features, right? Like, well, I can do this and this and this and look how great I am and all about me, me, me. Uh, you're missing a critical point of like, well, what can I do for you? And so I have to think of creative ways to say, well, this client needs X. This is one of the goals of her speech. What do I have in my toolbox? Again, to make it look kind of effortless so that uh, he or she doesn't know that I'm, you know, I have this tool because I've been with Toastmasters for 10 years and I know that there's a certain way of doing it. You know, it, it has to be, it has to have an effortless quality, I think, to it. And I would like to 
come back around to the question Lauren asked earlier, and maybe about this the is equestrian. The... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Speaking about me. All right, <laughs> uh, it would be the part um, that I think she was kind of getting at. Um, so if we fast forward to this time when you're identifying your skill set at uh, getting the message across, um, and you had mentioned earlier that uh, you're getting a lot of placements or having success with that. So during that path, when you were looking at um, developing those skills or recognizing those skills, could you talk a little bit about when you really started recognizing that ability um, when you were good at that, and then maybe a little bit on how you cultivated that? Yes, that's an excellent question. And I did this, this business would not exist without the help of a, of a wonderful career coach that uh, I met up with in 2017. And uh, it was really fate, I think, because we didn't, she wasn't introduced to me. It was kind of like, just a listing of different career coaches. And there was just something about her uh, and her way and, and the way that she works with clients that was really appealing to me. And so we had a phone conversation and I went to her really just to try and, and I hadn't even thought about starting my own business at this point. It was more of like, well, how do I expand on this momentum that I've had uh, with this, the second half of my, of my tenure at this ad tech firm and it was a series of conversations and a lot of work, I think from like April to early December of 2017. And along the way, it was really about discovering what are the values that are most important to you as a communicator and as a, as a business person. And it was really about planting those stakes in the ground Right. So it's about determining what's important to you. So, for example, uh, I said, well, whatever I end up doing or whatever skills I end up adding, I want to make sure that it is uh, client focused and client centric and really consultative in nature. Uh, whatever I'm doing, I don't want it to be transactional in the sense that uh, I would just do it and not really get to know that person and, and their business needs. So that was one thing. Uh, the second thing was uh, whatever it is that I do, I want to develop it into some kind of art form, which eventually did happen. And uh, even though I think it's a, it's a somewhat simple and straightforward process, I did develop my own process for working with clients in the way that I do now. And so that was really what started to plant the seeds of, of what this business would become. Is, is just working with someone uh, that cared a great deal, but that was objective enough to see uh, you know, what, what might work and what didn't. And uh, I borrow really a page from her book. I'm not a coach. I would never call myself a coach. People sometimes mistakenly call me a public speaking coach, which I am not. And I, I know some fabulous public speaking coaches if anyone's interested in a, in a referral, but uh, that is not me. But I do kind of borrow from the coach, the coach's playbook in that sense that I really wanted to be client centric. So that eight month or seven or eight month period was really uh, crucial towards helping me steer the business in the direction that I wanted it to go. It sounds like the way you talked about your time with the ad firm and that opportunity you got there, it sounds like being client fo focused was very important to you even then. 
Oh, absolutely. And it, it always has been, really. I think that you just have to, uh, especially in the, in the uh, media ad business, you just have to rise to a certain level so that you can be more face-to-face. But that, I always felt from the very first day, was a, was a direction that I was headed in. Uh, I had some very supportive supervisors early on back when I was just a, a lowly uh, analyst uh, <laughs> that were very supportive of me and, and saw something in me that uh, I didn't see in myself. And I think that's really important too. And so that's the other value add that I think I bring is so many people, a lot of the conversations that I have with clients start out as, I have this expertise in my field. They may even be noted authors in that field. They may lecture for a living. Some of them have been noted college professors. But when they're in this forum, it's like, I don't know how to get my arms around my own expertise and deliver it to an audience. And I think a lot of my job is looking for that thing in them that they don't see in themselves for whatever reason. And I can tell you, 100% of the time, everyone has that thing. Because if you are special enough to be invited, you definitely have... Uh, something in your personal story, in your professional life that is appealing to broad and targeted audiences. And when they, when your mentors or your uh, coaches, for lack of a better word at that point, when they first pointed out what you were capable of or saw something in you, uh, did you believe them at the time? No, no, I probably still don't believe them now, to be honest <laughs> with you. But that's the thing, right, is that that is why it is so important to be client-centric. And I I would put this out there uh, as a lesson for any business person, that if you're really looking to to up your your client relations game, it is is about looking, uh, seeing beyond yourself, right, and looking for, for what they really need and trying to find that something special. Because chances are, they don't really see it. Or if they're coming to you and saying, this is what I need, I think it always uh, behooves you as a business person to look beyond that and try to add value wherever you can. But in a way that uh, is relevant to them and the only way you can get there is by really listening. So no, I probably didn't see it in myself. I, I, I still don't. Uh, People tell me a lot that like, oh, that's that's really cool what you do, and I could never do that. And I'm always thinking like, well, so much of it is me just listening. Like, how could you not do that? But I guess that it is, it's a skill unto itself. Yes, we're not born effective communicators, unfortunately, including listening <laughs> skills. <laughs> it sounds like that was a defining moment, if you will, kind of getting that feedback. I mean, I know we asked you to share an image that resonates right from your kind of path and story. And that was what you shared. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that, that picture that you shared with us. And I will actually, um, as you're doing that, pull it up on our screen. You're going to show it. Awesome. So I just want to preface this. There's a neat little story that goes beyond behind this. Um, It's so it's a, it's a piece of paper uh, and it comes from an official Toastmasters ballot. So after you go up and speak, people can write little handwritten notes to you and give you feedback or constructive criticism on like, hey, I really enjoyed this and this could have been better for me. 
And I don't remember what the topic was. This must have been, I think, eight or nine years ago that I gave this speech. And, and someone that, uh, that uh, has gone on to, to be a, a mentor for me at, at, at different isolated periods in my career, particularly through uh, a rough patch of mine in, in the uh, mid-2010s or so, uh, gave this piece of paper to me and it said gifted storyteller and that was all it said and I knew it was from her because she handed it to me personally <laughs> so she wanted me to know that it came from her but there's no you know there's no identification on it that's all it says so I think that this is special for a couple of reasons I think it is a, a tangible uh, manifestation of my philosophy and working with clients. And no, I don't think I'm a gifted storyteller. That's not why I'm bringing this up. I think the reason why it's special is that it, it exemplifies that idea that, hey, someone can see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And even if it is just for that one speech, which you know, if I rank myself on, on public speakers or, or folks, I'm, I'm pretty good, but there are folks that are way better than me. I don't think of myself as gifted. But in that moment, I must have presented some kind of insight that really spoke to her and did it in a way that, that was special and related to her experience. And so that is uh, something that I always uh, bring up to folks that might be in doubt about their own abilities. It's also of interest to us, given the word gifted, right? So Kevin and I met and both come from the background of exploring expert performance expertise and that whole long run debate of nature versus nurture and sure. what people believe right and gifted is always something that's used on the nature side of things the belief that you are maybe born with something or born to be something what what's your stance on that i think uh i actually uh, and i'm gonna nerd out for a second actually i, I just you're among fellow nerds so go ahead <laughs> I, and I, I really would like to hear more about your, your research on that. Um, uh, but I think what, what, uh, where my stance is on it is that I, I was looking through my Facebook and I follow Seal, the musician. On I've seen him in concert three times and he's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. He's one of my favorites. And I don't know if this is his quote or someone else's, so I apologize if it's not actually his. But he said something along the lines of, uh, and it was just today, something along the lines of um, hard, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I think that's right. I think that's what it said. And so I think that you can be very gifted, but if you're not applying it, uh, it, it doesn't really do a whole lot of good. And if you're not working to actively hone that skill set, uh, not that everything is a competition, but that, that people will surpass you or, or you won't be able to do it in the way that you really want to because you're not working hard enough at it. So I do think it's, it's, a, it's a balance. It's like a, a scale between nature and nurture. I do think that some people just are naturally gifted at whatever it might be. But uh, it, it, as I say, even, even Tiger Woods needs a swing coach, right? So if he's not <laughs> out there working hard every day and and in particular, when he was coming up as a child, and you read the stories about uh, how his father was a big influence, if that talent isn't nurtured, then uh, it can potentially go to waste, which is sad. 
what are some of the things oh thank you for sharing about that uh, what are some of the things that you have done along your path to nurture your skill set i that's a great question i i think that that my goal has always been and i, I received some advice pretty early on in my career is that the first 10 years or so is really about adding as many skills to your to your toolbox as you possibly can so so I think that if you were to look at my resume or looked at my uh, LinkedIn profile, either now or, or in the future, because uh, I'm certain that I'm going to be doing something that's still in, in uh, my wheelhouse in this industry, but perhaps something that maybe is, is unexpected uh, based on, on what I've done to this point, that uh, you'll always see me trying to add new experiences to it. And I, I think that when you apply a certain uh, core group of skills, uh, that uh, if you're actively looking for ways to, to apply those differently, you can come up with some pretty interesting results. So that's something that I've done. Uh, I always try uh, to read as much as I can from different sources. Uh, I'm a big news junkie. I, I, I love to read just in general. Uh, I think it's important to, to understand different viewpoints. I always try to look at, well, what is the core insight behind what this author is, is trying to say? And I find that that really helps me as a speech writer, because regardless of how technical something might be, I think what my clients are really looking for is like, well, how do I deliver the insight to this audience. So there are multiple different ways that, that I try to hone my own skill set, but those would be the two, is just uh, applying it as many different ways as I can and, and trying to learn from as many different people as I can. Is it, are you particularly satisfied when you see a well-written piece or a well-crafted message? Does that bring you joy when, you, when you're doing your reading? Do you really enjoy the work of others? Yes, yes, uh, very much so. I, I really enjoy uh, a message that is well crafted, and and what was interesting to me is is when I first started the business, uh, I was talking with my dad, and and I was saying, wow, you know, this this artist really did some some great work when they were recording these albums in the '70s and the '80s. I think we were talking about Elton John, and I would just go back and listen over and over. A lot of songwriting, as I've heard it. Um, in interviews with different songwriters is coming up with that core insight. And he asked me, he's like, is that helping you with your, with your work? And I said, yeah, I think it is in a way. And I was really surprised that he came up with that because I, I've been so inside my own head trying to figure out how do I communicate my own value proposition to clients. And, and it was really uh, the lessons from these songwriters and from different commentators that, that I'm fond of is like, keep it, Keep it simple, you know, make, make it uh, an insight that, that is uh, simply communicated, but something that has a lot of uh, profound meaning and depth. And so that's another balance that I'm always trying to strike when I'm working with clients. Do you ever turn that off? Or are you always looking at things through that lens? Like, can you, you know, look at social media, not through the lens of like, hmm, what story are they telling here? <laughs> well, some things are just fun, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, what's your favorite meme, for example? 
Do you have a favorite meme? Oh my God, there are so many going around right now. <laughs> There's some very good ones about what phase of, you know, social isolation are you in? <laughs> right, right. So sometimes it's just fun. You know, I, I'd like to think that I'm balanced enough to say, well, sometimes a cigar is, is just a cigar. But when they are really going for something, like when I'm reading an op-ed piece or, or listening to a song or, or even watching a, a TV show or a film, which is something that uh, I think we're all doing much more of lately, and <laughs> the story is going along, and then they just kind of drop something that was an interesting plot point, or or uh, they didn't carry the ball over the the finish line in the way that I would have. I'm like, hmm. It's not so much disappointment. It's just like I wonder why they made that choice because mm -hmm. that's also very important too. Is is understanding why people make the choices that they make, both as content creators and as speakers, and in many other facets of life too. I was really surprised. I've done some work with uh, songwriters lately. I was really surprised to learn how much of a three part story their even their three minute song is. Uh, some of the more skilled writers have all three parts. The um, Act one, two, and three, uh, just like a film. It's it's awesome, and it's an amazing talent that uh, I don't pretend to have. I'm just an appreciator. Yeah. What was? Uh, is there a specific song that you can name that was that was really stood uh, out to you, or is that? I can't. Um, I can't think of a particular song, but it was a theme that kept uh, coming up, and it was. Uh, Actually, the place where I borrowed that story from, I believe, was the comparison between uh, battle rappers and uh, actual hip hop artists that record and release their music because an argument was being made that a, a battle rapper did not have that and that a true storytelling song would require all three parts. Um, and so there's an actual arc that it has to begin, have the middle, and then the resolution. And that it really, with the, particularly with the time constraints, um, it really surprised me. So I guess any form of uh, writing in any medium will have uh, that need to have the, basically what you do, the the full story or the content uh, has to sell it. So it was That's really surprising. Really, I would never have thought of that before, yeah. battle rappers versus uh, hip hop recording artists. Yeah. Uh, I do have to say there is something fascinating about someone that can just get up there and Again, it looks effortless, but it is a skill that they must yeah. have honed over time. Just come up with lyrics on the spot and have it be uh, coherent. <laughs> that is not a skill set of mine, uh, in case you tell. It's really something. So I, I think it's, it's, um, it, it must have been so fascinating to see two different sides of that same uh, coin, as it were. Yeah. And I'm decent at rhyming. I just uh, wouldn't call myself a battle rapper, but I can come up with right. rhymes pretty quickly. I, I want to hear some of that uh, <laughs> podcast. That would be really. You're learning all sorts of things yeah. about us in your this version, you know, episode, which is your story, not ours. <laughs> it's an interesting bonus feature. I think that yeah. you there you go. Put it out. Um, so, do you find any particular challenges at doing what you do at the level that you do? Uh, I think the challenges are, I, I think the biggest challenge is making sure that uh, my relationship with my clients is uh, built on, on trust, that they really trust me. 
And not that uh, I, I think of myself as untrustworthy or that I present as untrustworthy, but uh, it takes a while to really understand where they're coming from. So I've worked with clients that, that insist that their speech is about one thing. And I said, okay, yes, it is on the surface, but what it's really about is, is this. Like, it's about this promise that you, you kept to your mentor, that you would carry on his legacy. And you can't just go for that right away, right? Even though it, it keeps coming up, you have to really listen and say, it's almost like building a, a case, right? You have to have evidence for that. It's like, well, you mentioned this thing and how it was a pivotal moment. And that ties back to this key story that, that you sort of mentioned as just an aside. And then you made the second point about this other pivotal moment in your career, but there's a through line between that moment and the first moment. And I'm seeing a lot that is jumping out at me to say like, this should be woven into the story somehow. Or sometimes it doesn't even have to be explicitly stated, but it can be a fascinating piece of subtext where uh, even if a client just goes up on stage and she has no mention of what we've determined is the greater insight, even if she doesn't mention it explicitly, the fact that she's delivering it and she's saying to herself, perhaps like, oh, this was really about keeping the promise to, to my mentor who was so great and so impactful. That can change the tone of the speech, yeah. even if it's just for her and therefore change the delivery. So uh, getting to that point uh, requires a lot of work on my end. And so it's not just the conversations, but it's uh, reading excerpts of a book that she has written or perhaps a whole book uh, as it were in, in one case. Uh, watching videos that they had already given just to observe things like technique and even though I don't specialize in technique but observing how they deliver speeches at, at different moments or you know what was the story behind that particular moment and why did that succeed or or fail so I have to really do my homework and bring all of myself to that point to make sure that they do trust me you really have to do the work so I, I think it's on two levels they my hope is that they trust me right in the beginning because I am genuinely interested in, in what they're saying. But then there's that whole, there's the trust that comes from uh, delivering that payoff, delivering that result to them, even before I've started writing that hopefully he or she will go like, wow, he really does understand it. Her, he really did watch that video. He didn't just skim through it. And I can imagine there's this, sense of relief sometimes there's in my career there's been nothing more frustrating than having something that makes sense in my head and mm. I get 95 percent 90 percent 95 percent of the way there and explaining it or getting the message across but then people sit there and listen and then they say but really what is this about and so it <laughs> yeah. sounds like this is something that you're able to provide yeah I I, I think so and uh but but it's not it's not something that I believe resides uniquely in me or with me. It's really about the collaboration between the client and I. Sure. So, so I would say to any client that, uh, that is thinking about working with me or, or any speechwriter is that if, if you're willing to bring a lot to the table on the front end, we will make the process easier and easier for you as we go along. And by the time that you have something uh, that resembles a finished product, you'll be amazed 
it, how well it is written and how well it, it, it sounds like you and reflects your viewpoint. So yeah, it takes a while to, to get there though. And uh, uh, there is a sense of relief uh, on, on my part, but uh, again, it's not really about me. It's, it's, I'm, I'm more relieved when they say to me like, oh yeah, this, this really makes sense. This is the direction that I want to go because it is, it is somewhat subjective in nature. Another speechwriter could take that and go a completely different place with it and say, well, we're going to play up this part and we're not even going to mention this at all. Like, put that other aspect out of your head. Yeah. It's really about the, the collaboration and creating a piece of art that, that is meaningful. So when you decided to do what you're doing now and really kind of do this as your own consulting business, did you mm -hmm. feel like your journey and your path up to that point had really led you to having this skill set needed for this work? Or did you feel like, yes, but there are things that I'm going to have to work on or build to be able to now pivot? Oh, uh, yes to, to both. So the, it, as, as you've heard the story of my career, definitely working in consumer insights, I think has been helpful. And that is an industry that, uh, of which I still consider myself a, a part to this day, even though I have this, this offshoot uh, in, in my career doing something that's important to me. I, I still consider myself to, to uh, th that industry to be my home industry. Uh, so working in consumer insights was definitely important. The client relation skills that I developed uh, really in the, in the, second half of my career, well, second half to date anyway, I hope it's not the, the second <laughs> half totally. Uh, and then uh, just the, the writing part and working with speakers and Toastmasters. I, I think the thing that, that I've had to work most on is uh, uh, the, the business development aspects of being a business person. That is not something that comes naturally to me and I have developed my own way of doing it. I've worked or, or I've talked to consultants that say like, well, you know, if you just follow my formula and you reach out to X number of people a day, then no, oh, you're going to be set and you're going to be swimming in clients. And my reaction is always like, well, huh, but then you lose the individuality and how can I reproach them and say that I can add value uh, when I don't really understand their, their point of view yet, or I don't really have an inkling. Like if I just see that they're an author or a speaker and I try to approach them without really having done at least a little bit of homework, how, how does that relationship develop? So I've had to really balance that desire to want to go in deep right away with the realities of, of uh, scaling and, and developing a business. And that's a work in progress for sure. I'm right there with you. I think we're kindred spirits in that sense. When I start, first started my practice, everybody was like, you need to have a business plan. You got to map all this out. And I was like, that, nah, I'm never going to start a business then. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, <laughs> it's hard, right? I mean, do you find, I mean, you, you must uh, in your, especially you as a, as a, as a, an actual coach, a, a real coach, unlike me, uh, what, what is your process? I mean, like, how do you, approach it and, and, and really get people to, to say like, oh, wow, she, she really understands and she really could add insight into to what I'm trying to achieve. I think I'm like you. It's a, it's a work in progress, right? On the, that type of skill set that is needed to be able to have and run your own consulting business or coaching business, right? You know, a lot of us 
like leaders come into this work because we're, we're good at something or we were passionate about something and then we have to figure out this other skill set that's <laughs> the requirement of it. It's good to hear that that uh, someone else has that struggle <laughs> yeah. uh, in addition to myself. I, it, when, you, when you are an entrepreneur and you're doing it on your own in particular, you do have this feeling sometimes that like, oh, wow, it, it, it's just me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I alone am terrible <laughs> at this and then, uh, oh, I've really failed. But then uh, you talk to other people and it's really enlightening to say, oh, well, here's how I overcame that. And it's like, that can make you feel so much better even if the the answer is still, uh, or the solution is not immediate or it doesn't work out right away, it can still make you feel really good about uh, moving forward. That brings me to a question about, you know, are there any successes and failures that stand out, you know, along your, your journey here to this point? In, in this business? Uh, Just in the ac across the board, you know, your path to this point. Uh, well, the big mistake, and I've talked about this uh, on, on uh, uh, other podcasts and, and even with clients before, just in the interest of, of transparency, the big mistake I made early on was that the, the business name, the content interpreter, the that was the name because of uh, the intent was to do all written content. So, hey, you need corporate copy, you need ghostwriting, you need something for your website, like, I'm your guy. And I really struggled for the first five or six months. And I think it was because I didn't have a real defined POV. And I, and, uh, I did some work for some wonderful clients uh, in that area, uh, in different areas, mostly marketing collateral. And... Uh, it was really rewarding working with those few clients, uh, but that was only because I think they understood my process better than I did. So I don't know if I would call that a failure. It certainly felt like that at different points within that period, but uh, I found that I wasn't really listening to, not to, it wasn't that I wasn't listening to what the clients were saying, but it was like, I wasn't listening to what they were not saying, right? So they were really responding well to something that I did. So the fact that I would ask so many questions early on and really uh, make it very consultative in the beginning and really just me shutting up and, and listening in the beginning. <laughs> and as I was trying to find my footing, I, I was... Uh, at times not giving that enough uh, care and attention as I should. And it really worked. And so the way that I overcame that was I said, well, what, what area really uh, would require that the most, what is the most fun and what is the most satisfying kind of work that you could do? Uh, and that is, and when I started getting speech writing work, I said, oh, of course, like, and I had done that all along. One of my very first clients was was uh, for for a speechwriting gig, uh, for for a company, uh, a president of a of a transportation company that just wanted like a rallying speech for his employees at a at a town hall. And so, the answer was there, like in my first month of business, and I just didn't pay attention to it for whatever reason. And so that has been a real evolution for me. And it wasn't until like five or six months in that I was like, oh, of course. And then I found that if people did want to work with me in areas outside of speech writing, which is where the presentation consulting aspect of the business came in, it's like, oh, you have that process. 
just use the same thing and it, and it works just as well. So uh, that is, uh, I guess, a failure that sort of evolved into a success, mm -hmm. which I think is in the long run, that's how you should really look at any failure, but certainly doesn't feel that way in the moment. <laughs> Especially when you're beginning a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, uh, it hurts sometimes. <laughs> so what would you say you've learned about yourself throughout this journey? Uh, I think that I've learned about myself. That's a really good question. You guys have some great questions. Really. <laughs> like you're just, you know, praising us to death here. <laughs> no, I've really enjoyed this because uh, you focused on the early years and like you're really connecting all the dots. I can appreciate that as someone that does what I do. What did I learn about myself? I, I think that I learned that my skill set is valuable in a number of different contexts. Again, early on, I found myself really intimidated by some of my clients because the caliber of what they achieved or their uh, education, their academic successes, whatever it might be. And I used to kind of think to myself, like, well, why? Like, I'd be on the phone and I'd well, why? You need me. Like, I'm just the dumbest guy in the room compared to you. And then I realized that, that the 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 best thing that you can, can bring to someone's life into a business relationship is, is showing that you care genuinely uh, and that you're trying to understand and, and that you relate to what they're saying in some way. And so we try to take that chemistry or I try to take that chemistry and say, how can we infuse it into this talk, this presentation, this speech? And that, I think is is probably the the biggest thing that I've learned about myself that uh, uh, what we each of us does, regardless of our station in life, is is uh, valuable in ways that that uh, cannot always easily be foreseen. Sure. Uh, to your point about getting to work with some people that have accomplished, you know, amazing things. What have you seen, you know, just in inter interacting with these people about what maybe could be insights to our listeners about what it takes to get to that place? Uh, that's a good question too. I think that the, the thing that has always stood out to me is that regardless of how successful you are with with the exception of a select few and i none of my clients but i'm just saying in in general uh with the exception of a select few that think they're awesome and the greatest is that no one really thinks that like oh well just because i have a phd and my firm did x million in revenue you know greater over last year or whatever it might be no one really thinks of themselves as like well hey i've made it and no one successful, I think, really thinks that way. They all look at it as, as an evolution. So that would be something that I would uh, share. And uh, the other thing that I've learned by working with clients is that they really value uh, that this idea of, of having a collaborator in their corner. And I like the fact that I've been able to kind of change their minds about what a speechwriter really does, if it's going to be an effective uh, final product, is that if you really huddle up with them and, and again, show that you care, show that you understand, uh, that there is tremendous 
value in that. And I didn't realize before I started doing this, how many people really are looking for that. And now that's the thing I can't turn off, Lauren, is now I see that everywhere. <laughs> so now it's like, oh, okay, like, so, so how do you, how do you meet people's uh, needs in that moment? And that's something that I've really carried over to uh, my own networking and, and especially networking with fellow entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. like, well, what can I bring to you? Like, what, what do you need? And not asking for anything in return, just wanting to, to genuinely help because you want to see other people succeed. So yeah, it's a real interesting journey that way. So in a way it's like, I, I learned about myself by learning about others. And it's like this really interesting uh, feedback loop that we're on. Absolutely. Do you feel like you've had to make any sacrifices throughout? Uh, in, well, in what way? I'm curious about that question. It's People look at that word differently, but um, I don't want to bias your answer. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to give you an answer, but is there anything that you feel like uh, you've had to give up or forego or? Uh, I think that I've had to sacrifice the, sacrifice the expectation that like, oh, well, we'll all come together at once. I think I really had to respect the process. I have a blog post on my website called Embrace the Process, Enhance Your Speech. Mm. And I think I had to sacrifice my expectation that it would just sort of come together right away. Mm. and really respect the, the the process. And I think as any entrepreneur will tell you that there are financial sacrifices as well as you, as you go into this. For but sure. but if, if it's worth, <laughs> but if it's worth uh, doing, right, and you really believe in what you're doing, then then that is uh, something that is worth it and the, and the money will, will come. It'll come into place just later on because you have to build equity in your own brand. I really believe in that. And again, that's, you know, media and advertising and marketing side of me, I really believe in brand equity and sort of uh, uh, investing in the long term. Because no one respects, I don't think, at least someone that, that does what I do, they, they wouldn't respect me, I think, if I was a, a short-term thinker or, or made them believe that I was a short-term thinker in any way. Hmm. Interesting. What does a typical day look like for you? Oh, it's different. I, I think that any entrepreneur will tell you that. Uh, usually I, I like to uh, get started with the day by, by just sitting in, in quiet for a little while with a, with a nice cup of coffee. I prefer it iced, but uh, in these days of social isolation, I just have to settle for, for my uh, homemade hot coffee and just really try to center myself and think about like, well, what are the most important things that I could accomplish today? So almost making like a mental checklist of, of what I think are the most important things. Um, I think it's really important to tune out a lot of what is noise, especially as an entrepreneur, because people will... and. I don't mean to disparage anyone because we're all just trying to make a living and I, I respect that. But but people will come to you and they'll believe, I think, in their heart of hearts that I could really add value to this person, but because they're missing a key component, you know, their pitch might be like, oh, but that's not right for me. 
And if you're able to go, and I've watched other entrepreneurs do this uh, from a safe position before I was an entrepreneur. So thankfully, I, I learned from this mistake. If you chase after all of those and consider every one of them to be an equal opportunity, uh, it's probably not going to work out very well. Uh, and you'll just end up feeling frustrated. Uh, I certainly uh, focus on... Uh, networking, particularly virtually in, in these days. And so what I've been doing a lot is just reaching out to speakers and authors and thought leaders and just saying, I would love to learn your learn more about your story. This is what I do. Will you just share with me your story? And the response for that has been really, really high. Yeah, that's great. Probably higher than, than any other uh, way that I try to engage with people. Uh, and I find that, again, just coming to to the table with a genuine interest wins the day. And that's when you can start some interesting conversations and they'll say, hey, you know what? I know someone that uh, has an event uh, that hasn't been canceled, that, you know, later in the fall that could really, you know, <laughs> like, you guys should at least talk or... Uh, oh, hey, I, I, I think I might know someone that you'd just be interested in talking to. So I think investing in that, uh, in the brand that way is helpful. And then of course, producing my own content. So videos, uh, I do a lot of written social media posts, a lot of blog posts, as much as I can do on my own without having a team, because yeah. it is just me, because I, I feel like it would be weird to have a business called the content interpreter. And then you go to my website. <laughs> You're not producing your content. <laughs> no content, <laughs> no podcast. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So right now, one of the things I'm really proud of is that if you go to my website, there's a lot of goodies on there uh, for, for people to hopefully enjoy and engage with. So what advice would you give an aspiring performer in your field or performer? Ay, ay, ay. Uh, Sorry, that we, is, we refer what? to performers as in like high performers. Sorry. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Oh, so not as a public speaker. I was saying, oh, I should get one of my uh, public speaking coach uh, <laughs> partners uh, on the phone and, and she could probably better answer that. Uh, for high performers, I, again, I, I think that uh, there's this idea, uh, like I said before, the idea that like saying yes will somehow get you in front of uh, more opportunities. I think really it's, it's about having that balance of like, well, what is most important to me? Uh, one of the pieces of advice that uh, I've heard given uh, for this time that we're living in, and I, I presume by the time this airs that we'll, we'll still be um, practicing social distancing, which is the absolute right thing to do. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things that I've heard is that, oh, well, if, if you, there was something on social media the other day, like, well, if you didn't learn a language or if you didn't have your side hustle fully developed by the time you get out of this, then you just didn't have the discipline to begin with. And it's like, really? Like, is that really helpful? Like, you know, if you're not doing something, I think it's more helpful to look inward and say, like, well, why does that not connect with me? Like, why do I always have the best of intentions to do something and then I never do it. Uh, you know, I think that the most important things in my life sometimes are the things that I, I didn't do because it just didn't feel right. So that, that would be one piece of advice I'd have for high performers. Uh, the second one is that uh, it's uh, j just like what I've learned with my clients, it's, it's uh, really important to, to come to the table with, with genuine interest 
in another person. And I think that's a quality that is uh, sadly not in uh, as high uh, a quantity as, uh, as we would like these days. I think that if you genuinely show interest and you genuinely want to add value, that, that people are surprised by that. It shouldn't be that way, but that they're surprised. And I think that, that those two things really are, are uh, a couple of things that you can employ on the road to being a high performer. I consider myself still on that road <laughs> myself. So I, I try to learn as much as I can from what has worked and what hasn't in my own journey. Thank you. Is there anything that we haven't asked that you feel is important to share? Oh, wow. Um, you know, someone asked me that on a podcast once. Um, and uh, I think I said something about like, oh, I would love to, uh, I would love to interview Oprah. So I'll just put that out there. That <laughs> I really like to meet Oprah because <laughs> I think she's fascinating. But uh, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, hopefully, what what the goal? I think one of the goals of of this podcast is, and what I think is so great about what you guys are doing is uh, that people will have their own question in mind after after listening to this conversation, and hopefully, they'll have something they want to. Uh, fill in and then they'll reach out to you uh, when this airs and and uh, my advice for that would just be open and, and receptive to it and and respect uh, your audience which I know you will uh, because it's clear from from the way that you presented yourself so that that would be the thing that I would probably add is that uh, this podcast uh, I think is really an interesting springboard for for ongoing discussions and hopefully the episodes they're capsules, they're snapshots in time, but that they could go on. And if someone's listening to this a year from now, that it might inspire them to fill in the blank themselves. Well, thank you. Um, and I know Lauren, I'll be remiss if I don't ask this question. Because <laughs> uh, you had alluded to it earlier. Um, if you could, would you be able to put a number to the percentage of success that you feel is natural? Uh, versus the working hard, like if you had to create the, the ratio. Oh, the the nature versus nurture, like how how much of it is yeah. is talent, how much of it is hard work. Oh, I'd say at least ninety for hard work, because yeah. then it just sort of it just sits there, and you're not doing anything with it. It's like, well, is a is a hammer, and I'm not a guy that is handy at all. So <laughs> this is a weird thing for me to be saying. <laughs> gives a totally false impression but if a hammer is just sitting there in the toolbox like it's useless yeah it's a good hammer but but we don't know the houses that it could build or something see that that analogy sounds unnatural with me saying that i don't even know why no, i thought like of a hammer. but it was great <laughs> just, it was perfect but it, but i'm I gonna steal that actually i will i will credit you but i'm gonna steal that analogy <laughs> okay, all right <laughs> i didn't know it was worthy of stealing but <laughs> And Lauren, do you want to do the last one? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, this has been awesome and it's been great to hear your story and your thoughts on a lot of different things. Um, thank you. I've really enjoyed it myself. So thank you. Uh, what do you think is, is the biggest takeaway from your story? The biggest takeaway is that, and, and I've, I've read uh, different columnists' opinions on this. And so I'm going to kind of fold that into, into my own story 
the biggest takeaway is that one's career does not have to be linear, that you can try different things, that you can, uh, not that this is my primary goal ever, but that you can monetize different aspects of your skill set in a way that uh, you never thought possible. I think the goal uh, that I hope to see in myself as I continue, but also in my clients, is this idea that you're that you're coachable, that to some degree you're still malleable and that you're still willing to try new things. I think that that is uh, something that you can take away and that, uh, that it's never, it's never a bad thing to, to have different experiences that not, none of those experiences are, are wasted, even if uh, they don't work out quite the way that you want them to. That's awesome. Thank you. And I understand you have uh, some information you'd like to potentially share with our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much. And I alluded to it a little earlier because there's a lot of goodies on my website. Uh, it's contentinterpreter.com. That's the website that you visit. And if you go specifically to contentinterpreter.com slash free dash guide, there is a video guide series you sign up with your email and you receive one two to three minute video from me each day. There are three of them, part one, two, and three, that uh, reveals a little bit more about the specifics of my process. And if you're writing your own speech, what are the things that you should be thinking about? How to tell if you're ready to give that speech? That's covered in the third and final part of the series. And I worked with uh, a fabulous public speaking coach that uh, I've just come to adore over uh, the last uh, 12 to 18 months or, or so that I've known her and she and I worked together on those. And, and uh, I just think that she did a fabulous job producing them. And I think there's some really great content in there too. So please come on over to my website. That's contentinterpreter.com slash free dash guide. And uh, you can sign up with your email and uh, you'll get to hear me talk even more then you've already heard me on this episode, which is a, <laughs> which is a treat, I hope. Well, thanks, JT. That's awesome. And we'll provide, you know, the, the link and information for everybody on the, the uh, show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having me on. This was a really fascinating conversation. Well, for us you. as well. Thank you so much. Path Stilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by the Path Distilled, all right reserved.